Today's podcast is brought to you by Victoria Hill Physical Therapy and Wellness, offering physical therapy and wellness services such as massage, craniosacral therapy, Reiki, intuitive body work, and energy balancing. They treat each person as the unique individual they are. Every session is one-on-one, and they accept most insurances for physical therapy services. They're located on Pearl Street in Hardwick, just up the road from Hazen Union. Give them a call at 802-472-6622. I'm very excited for today's guest, a standout basketball player at Spalding High School, went on to start at the University of Vermont and became one of the more successful coaches in Vermont high school basketball history at St. John's Berry Academy there for over three decades. Lane Higgs, welcome to No Fouls. Oh, I didn't know that was the name, but uh, thank you very much. I'm very glad to be here kind of like to go back to the beginning kind of to kick things off and was it always basketball for you or were you a multi-sport kid well i i turned out to be a multi-sport i started out uh a little bit late for example i didn't join little league until i was 11 years old Uh, so i guess that was probably my my first organized unlike today when things are organized so much for the kids but Mm -hmm. that was probably my first organized uh sport being uh playing baseball when i was 11 and from there uh i went into basketball uh quite by i had two older brothers but neither one of them played sports at all so i didn't really have any anybody to follow in the family and uh, I just uh, sort of kind of went off on my own, and my father put up a basket on the on the back of our garage when I was about 10 years old, so I started basketball then. And then when I got into Spalding High School as a freshman, I'd never played football before because they didn't have anything in those days uh, before high school. And uh, I thought I would get involved. A lot of my friends were playing football, so I got involved in football as a ninth grader and went on from there. Um, I actually played three sports in college also, uh, along with uh, being a uh, full-time basketball player at UVM. I also ran track for two years. I was in the track program and uh, also played freshman baseball on, on, the, on the baseball in the baseball program. So, I guess you'd say um, mostly. Uh, although basketball was number one, I was a multi-sport person. Yeah. Who was the first coach that kind of had an impact on you? Uh, the first coach uh, and and w- one of the most influential was my high school basketball coach. His name was Tony Garino, and uh, he came to Spalding uh, just before I got there. I think if I I would have to go back and look that up, but and he wasn't there very long. But he um, he won. I think it was three in a row and went to the finals of fourth year uh, back in the, in the uh, early sixties. Mm-hmm. So he, he was my, uh, 
my basketball coach in high school and one of the most influential coaches uh, of any sport that I ever had. Uh, he was um, someone that uh, he, he was just made to be a coach. He looked like a coach. He acted like a coach. He talked like a coach. Um, but, uh, he, he really influenced me a lot later on when I became a coach in terms of how you, how you're supposed to do those things. Um, it wasn't so much his, uh, skill development or his X's and O's that, that I learned from him, but I learned a lot about, uh, the psychology of coaching and how to, uh, deal with players individually and also how to act in the public, uh, out in the public domain as a coach and, and also in terms of the spoken word. He was very, very adept at, uh, being able to get his thoughts across and his ideas across, um, to us and to the public. We ended up going to the Boston Garden two years in a row, um, when I was a junior and a senior in high school. We uh, went if, in those days. If you won your state championship uh, in New England, you would go and play in the New England tournament in March. So I had the good fortune to do that two years in a row. He, he, uh, of course, spearheaded that effort. And my senior year, we actually won our first game against New Hampshire uh, in that tournament. So he he was definitely the first uh, coach and one that has remained. Uh, even to this day, uh, he's still alive, and I still have contact with him. So he, he was definitely uh, an early uh, influence on my playing career. With that influence, were you already, you know, contemplating a coaching route at that point, or was it more of a kind of after college, how do I keep staying involved in sports? I think it was more of the latter. I, I don't think that um, – I, I can't ever remember saying, you know, to myself or to other people that I would really like to go into coaching. I knew I wanted to stay around basketball. I, I knew that. And, uh, of course, that's, you know, after you finish your college career, that's pretty much the only thing that you have left for you. So um, that that came later, but uh, was, as I said, heavily influenced by, by him. Uh, at, during my high school days. What was kind of that first thought and when did you seriously make that consideration into, okay, I want to try coaching? Well, I, I can't really remember a particular moment, but I think my senior year at UVM, um, I was contacted by a uh, principal at uh, Kingswood Regional High School in, in Wolfboro, New Hampshire. And he had been a former uh, principal at Burlington High School and had gone to this, uh, this regional high school in New Hampshire. And he called me, actually, or got a hold. I can't remember exactly how in those days you got a hold of people, but he got a hold of me. And when I was a senior, he, he knew he had been in Burlington during some of my uh, college career. So he knew, knew of me, I guess. And he said, uh, pretty much, um, you know, we need a basketball coach here at, uh, at this school. And, uh, I was thinking that because you're a senior, you may be looking in that direction. So that, that kind of tipped it for me. Uh, 
and uh, I followed up on that and became the the varsity coach uh, right out of college at that regional high school. And how was kind of that transition for you? You know, we've had a lot of mixed stories from the coaches on the show from, you know, that hard, hard lesson learned early on to sometimes you just end up in the right situation and you win and right. It seems easy. I, I would say it was a, it was a, it was a difficult four years. I stayed there four years uh, and then I left and went to the university of Virginia to get my master's degree. But in that time, um, the, it wasn't a very, it was a new school. Uh, the basketball program was not very well developed and I didn't know much about developing a basketball program. Uh, I knew a lot about playing and how people should play. But, uh, so it was, um, it, it was, it, it was a real eye opener as far as do I want to do this? And I was actually coaching other sports there at the school. I coached some football, I coached some baseball, and I coached some cross country. So I was I was a you know coaching during different seasons, but basketball was number one. But it was hard. Uh, we they didn't have any kind of a of a history, and they didn't have any kind of a program leading up to the high school. So it was kind of starting, you know fresh, uh, starting over. And, uh, I didn't know much about how to do that in those days to tell you the truth. I was used to winning and I was used to people playing, uh, taking the sport very seriously. So anyway, I ended up uh, leaving after four years and going to the university of Virginia to get my master's degree. What brought you back to Vermont? While I was at Virginia, I would, uh, get information through the Burlington Free Press or from correspondence with people back here uh, about uh, jobs that might be open uh, in the area, in Vermont, or maybe in New England, because I was looking to coach again. So after that one year and getting my master's degree, I had uh, some schools, and, and I actually don't remember all of them now, somewhere in Massachusetts, I think New Hampshire, there was a school I looked at, and then one of the schools that I did uh, find out about was St. Johnsbury Academy. Of course, I knew the academy from living in Vermont. Uh, we never really played the academy uh, in sports, a little bit of football, I guess, but that was about it. And uh, I didn't know a lot about the school uh, uh, at that time. I knew it was a private uh, school as opposed to a public school, but... Anyway, I had some correspondence with uh, people at the school, and they said, "Come and you know, come and take a look." And so I interviewed at uh, three or four different high schools around New England, and um, we liked St. Johnsbury as a town, and um, I I enjoyed the interview and talking to the people. They they had just had a bad time with their program. They had had. I don't know, three or four coaches in three or four years. And they were looking for some stability. So um, I was uh, willing to give it a try. And uh, that was 1919, the summer of 1971. And so I decided to, to take the job, and I was there for 35 years. What an amazing run. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you 
you go in at a downtime, if you will, yeah. for the academy. Right. Does that make it easier for you to kind of implement what you want to do in the sense that you're not following an established program? It kind of gives you that clean slate? Well, I, I, I think that's probably true to a certain extent. On the other hand, the players were not used to winning. They were not used to doing well. The school was not used to doing well. And they, uh, the, the expectations weren't very high for anybody. And um, so that, that hurts you in terms of, of, you know, adjusting to that kind of an environment. They, they had lost uh, several years in a row. They had, in their history, they had never gone the, the most, the furthest they'd ever gone in the tournament was the semifinals um, in 1967. That was the one and only time that they even came close to any kind of a, you know, a state situation. So, you know, it was, it was a pretty empty program. Um, wrestling was big. They had a wrestling program well-established and they were doing well. So you had that football was real big, uh, at that time at the school and track, uh, under coach Frey was extreme. So basketball was kind of an afterthought and that, that was hard, uh, to get that going. Um, that took quite a while, but, um, we liked the town. And we liked the school and, uh, we had, you know, we, we were, we had a young family and we were looking to kind of stabilize ourselves and, uh, stay in one place. So I stayed through some <laughs> pretty difficult years in the beginning. So let's fast forward a little bit. Okay. How does Bruce Dalrymple end up coming to St. John's Berry Academy? Bruce came out of a program uh, called the the Riverside Church program, and uh, I at the time what they would try to do it was a basketball program I think mostly maybe it was other sports too, but I think it was mostly basketball and and what they would try to do is they would get people they would get New York kids into this program Riverside Church. And then they would look for places to send them uh, around New England or New York State or whatever to send them out to go to school for their high school careers. So uh, Bruce, uh, we called him Henry in those days, Henry Dalrymple, uh, came here. But he was, he was uh, uh, we, we had uh, Rory Grimes come out of the same program before him. So actually... He knew Rory, and he was in the same program back in the city. And they knew us because of Rory Grimes. Rory Grimes came here as a sophomore, spent three years. And uh, during Rory's senior year, uh, senior year, yeah, his senior year, uh, Bruce followed him here. Uh, And uh, so he ended up here largely because of Riverside Church and Rory Grimes. I want to go back a little bit to something you said earlier about your coach in high school showing an ability to manage different personalities. Mm -hmm. That's one of the hardest things to kind of learn is that you can't speak to every kid the same way and not everybody reacts the same way. 
Right. How do you manage, you know, you're at this high school program in Vermont and you've had some transitional talent, you know, Rory, Bruce, Tony Taylor. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about those, but how do you manage those personalities and people with much greater aspirations in it when it comes to basketball as probably the other 14 guys on the roster? Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a really good point to bring up. One of the things that happened to me after 14 years teaching social studies, um, I was given the opportunity to become the head of the guidance department at the school. And I went into that with no little or no training uh, or education in, in guidance. And, uh, but I, what I looked at was, okay, um, I think I want to be a guidance counselor because to me, uh, as a teacher, I taught a lot of U.S. history. And and when you tell a kid that they have to pass a particular course, what I found out was that to the majority, actually the, probably the, the vast majority of the kids, as soon as you tell them they have to do something, it's required if they're going to graduate. Then they, then they automatically don't like it. So it was, a, it was really difficult f- for me because I liked history so much and I enjoyed teaching it and I thought it was very interesting to find that most of the kids that came through my door were not really all that interested. They were there because they had to be. They had to pass U.S. history. So after 14 years, I had an opportunity to switch to guidance and when I switched to guidance over the summer between teaching history and being in guidance, I was asked to be the director of the guidance program. So, so I went from history to guidance with, you know, within a three-month period of time. And I became the guidance director, and I did that for the remainder of my time at the academy. Well, that turned out to be a really helpful situation for, for my uh, coaching because I, I – uh, learned a lot from doing guidance work and being in that position. I learned a lot about a lot of different kinds of kids, and um, and on a you know on a personal in guidance you're on a personal basis. It's not a teacher student basis. Yeah. So uh, and I found out I really enjoyed that. I, I enjoyed and you're right. We, we had a lot. We have a lot of different kinds of or we had a lot. We still have a lot of different kinds of kids at the academy. Kids from different countries, kids from different states, a lot of kids from different backgrounds, and a lot of local kids from St. Johnsbury. So being in guidance gave me the opportunity to meet, to talk to, to learn about all these different kids and, and sort of uh, how, to, how to deal with them on an individual basis. And I found that to be extremely helpful in terms of my coaching uh development also is that that really helped me to to be a better coach was there any jealousy with kind of the spotlight that we're on you know especially obviously those four guys really stand out in your time right yeah uh well that's hard to say that it it wasn't on display a lot what i found first of all the those particular individuals were all really good people. Uh, 
they they were really team minded, uh, and that's the kind of atmosphere that we had. Um, they were uh, they although they had different personalities. Certainly, they were all interested, sometimes to a fault, in in having the other players do well. Um, especially Orsieri was like that. He he wanted everybody else to score. <laughs> I wanted him to score. <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, you you know I was I was fortunate in that uh, we kind of treated everybody the same, and uh, that was a point of emphasis. If you were the last man on the team, you got as much respect from me and as much emphasis in terms of what we were doing as Dalrymple or Grimes or, you know, uh, and Rath or any of the rest of them. And they, um, that was not really an issue. They, I think the kids understood, the other kids understood that these guys were, uh, people in our school that were, uh, extremely talented players and that they, for the most part, just enjoyed being around them and having them part of the team. I think it's very unique. There's not a lot of people like you. You know, you look at a Coach Ledoux, who just got done at Windsor a year ago, Coach Prenovost, who just wrapped up his long career with Fairhaven, of, you know, these coaches that lasted decades and decades. So you're one of the few people that really has this perspective. How did you see basketball change from kind of those early years, 70s into 80s, to maybe those last couple 90s, early 2000s? Well, um, obviously, you know, the three-point shot was, was a tremendous uh, change for the, for the sport. Um, as far as the, the uh, growing up of the kids and the sport, um, and, and even now in today, when I, when I still deal with, with young kids in terms of basketball lessons, I do quite a few lessons with kids. I find that, um, the, the emphasis, uh, I, I used to, to really emphasize with the kids that they should be playing a lot of sports, not just basketball. I had kids, Dalrymple, for example, played three sports here. Uh, Grimes played three sports. And I can remember when Orsieri came to me, uh, I think as a sophomore, and, and uh, he said, Coach, he said, I don't, I don't want to play any other sport any longer. I just want to concentrate on basketball. And I tried to talk him out of it. And I, I said, you know, you're only, you're only in high school once. You've got all these opportunities. The academy has probably more sports than any other school in the state. And it's a wonderful experience to have other coaches and to be have other players around you and that type of thing. So I always wanted my kids to play other sports uh, in the off season. And um, I think one of the things that's changed uh, uh, quite a bit now I see with with younger players and, and with basketball is um, young kids, especially not so much high school kids, but young kids are on two or three teams at the same time. And they're traveling on these on these AAU teams, yep. uh, metro teams, metro conference teams that they have their their weekend travels, and there's very little time to reflect. There's very little time to uh, point out 
what needs to be worked on. In other words, the value of practice and of monitoring, I think, has diminished a lot. That wasn't the way it was when went back. You know, uh, the AAU was when I first started. AAU was not a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. It gradually gained more prominence as the years went on, and today it's got all kinds of influence on the kids and the parents. I think, uh, as far as the game goes um, itself, the three-point shot is obviously changing things a great deal. Um, I was, I had always put a lot of emphasis on shooting, uh, even before the uh, the three-pointer. Um, my one of my goals was to make everybody an outside shooter. We didn't, we didn't want anybody to be uh, deficient from the perimeter if possible up to a certain extent. So we always emphasized outside shooting. When a three pointer came in, I almost immediately put it into, uh, into use. And I found that other coaches were very <laughs> reluctant to do that because they, they saw it was kind of a, a silly thing to shoot three pointers, but we put those in right away. We had certain out of bounds plays that we would run. We, we had fast breaks that we would run with trailers getting a, you know, a three pointer. Uh, we made that very much a part of our game right away. So that's, that's changed the game a lot. Um, I think the game is, um, although not so much in Vermont and on the high school level, but this, this, uh, celebratory aspect, I, I see a lot more, individual celebrate celebrations going on for almost no reason on the yeah. court. And I think those are becoming real big. And, um, I could never understand why a foul shooter has to, has to slap hands with everybody after he misses a foul <laughs> shot, but they're doing that all, you know, things like that, the celebratory nature. And I guess that's good. Although I think that takes away from the team aspect to a certain extent, so it has changed like that, and uh, obviously the three-point shot is, is very, very important now, even on the high school level. Do you think that Dalrymple and Rory Grimes could have translated into early 2000s St. Johnsbury Academy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, I found, um, they were one of the things that, that they brought with them was um, they wanted to be coached. They they weren't here just to uh, fill in the time. Uh, they wanted to learn. And uh, Dalrymple went from a uh, you know a six three six four freshman center who who had almost no jump shot to a Georgia Tech uh, you know backcourt player. He became a guard for mm-hmm. for Georgia Tech. And he was ready for that by the time he got there. So it was always my emphasis to, uh, and, and Grimes was, even for New York City, was so quick and so strong and so explosive that he could have gone through four years here, or three, he was here for three years. He could have gone for, through three years. Uh, he scored, I think, I think he played 60 games here, and he scored in double figures, 59 of them, something like that. Um, so he could have he could have scored about all the time he was here. We were working on his jump shot because I knew if he was going to become a high level college player, which Division One, which is what he wanted, that he was going to have to develop his outside jump shot, and which he did gradually over time. That was before the three pointers, but I, I think they would have um, I think they would have been fine with with the 
with the changes in, in basketball, specifically the, uh, the three-point shot. How much pride did you take in being able to help kids try to get to their goals? You know, you mentioned with Dalrymple, okay, he has a goal of wanting to play high-level college basketball. We need to put a plan in place to make him better to succeed there, even if it wasn't necessarily what he needed to do to right. best win for St. Johnsbury. Right. Yeah. That was, that was a big part of, um, of what we tried to do with him. And, uh, right from the beginning, he, of course he had the athletic ability to, to do anything that he could learn to do. So it's just a question of, okay, um, I, I told him, I said, you know, you're, you're not big enough to be a college forward or center. You're not, that's not where you're going to be. You're going to be in the backcourt on the perimeter on a wing. And this is the way we're going to develop you individually. So, um, yeah, we, we would definitely have that slant. Uh, we would let him, for example, when he, he got a lot of rebounds. <laughs> so when he got a rebound, we'd let him dribble up the court, even though he was our biggest player. And we would let him run the fast break as a middleman on the fast break. And we had, we had fast breaks that uh, had specific things that we were trying to do depending upon where it originated and who was there and so on. But if he got a rebound, he was allowed to take off on the dribble. Now, he wasn't a dribbler when he started, so that had to be developed. But he developed very quickly. And um, that was the best thing for our team to do, too, because that made us, uh, he got so many rebounds that it, it made the fast break quicker if he could just take off and, uh, and try to get to the middle and become a middleman on the fast break, which is what, and he liked it. Uh, again, uh, both of those guys, Grimes and uh, Dyrumpo, were, were very happy to pass the ball to other people for a score. And, uh that they uh, they developed that uh, as, over the years also, so um, yeah, uh, it uh, it was it was kind of a of a a good thing for obviously the team, but it was and a good thing for them individually. So you just had to set up your practices in such a way that those things got developed. Speaking of team victories, how important was it, or? maybe a relief to bring that first championship to the Academy in 81. Right. Well, I, 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 you know, looking back on it, uh, it was a tremendous relief. Um, it was 10 years. It was 10 seasons. And some of those were, were very long seasons. And, um, you know, you look at what other teams are doing and you look at Burlington, uh, you know, UVM, the semifinals and the finals, and you're not there. And so, um, yeah, it was a, it was a, I, I would say it was a tremendous relief for, for me personally. And, um, it was something that obviously the kids wanted to do. So that, that was great. And it, um, it kind of changed my perspective. I remember being at a, at a, some kind of a dinner or something, talking to some people about the season and a guy stood up and said, okay, coach, now that you've won the championship, what are you going to do next? You know, that kind of thing. 
And I knew I didn't want to leave uh, St. Johnsbury. I knew I want because my kids were just coming up, getting older, and I wanted them to go to the academy. My wife uh, had a, a nice job in town, and uh, you know we just liked it here. So I knew I wasn't going to leave. But uh, that was a good, you know, the guy asked the question, and I didn't know how to answer it. What are you going to do next? Because I hadn't really thought about it. Kind of took it year to year. But gradually, over time, what I found was that um, the winning kind of took care of itself if you had the, the right approach. And so I began to uh, have as our primary goal the idea that success means doing as well as you can. And different years, as well as you can, depends on who you got for talent. But gradually, the the philosophy, the uh, aim of the program was to play each and every game as well as you can play the game that that particular night. And if you did that, no matter what the score was, uh, that was success. So that became kind of the sort of the philosophy of the program. That's fantastic, and. We got to jump ahead a little bit, but first, and I've recently been really diving into some old high school game footage, and I have a lot of the stuff from the Barry Auditorium. Yeah, but I haven't been able to get you know as far back as kind of those years. What can you tell me about when you go back to back a two overtime thriller with Mount Anthony? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that was at UVM. Uh, that wasn't, that wasn't the battery auditorium. You know, we didn't play there. Yeah. yeah. Division ones that, that was UVM. Yeah. Uh, Dalrymple, uh, 55 points. That still might be a record. I'm not sure if that's the record for division one, uh, uh, you know, finals that, uh, that was, uh, yeah, just an incredible situation. Um, I, I still have clippings and, and, you know, things I've kept. And I was kind of looking at that uh, a little bit this winter. I don't know how he did it, but really, um, I don't remember things about the game except that, um, you know, Dalrymple obviously came through when, when we needed him, but other kids came through too with big baskets at, at, at not a lot of them. Uh, he had, I don't know what the score was, maybe in the seventies, but uh, and he had 55 points. So you can just imagine the, and he was only a junior uh, at, that, at that time. And um, Mount Anthony uh, at that time had one of the best programs in the state with Fredrickson. And so to do that against them um, in that uh, double overtime was, um, was, was just a, a really, uh, you know, it's 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 it was an incredible night, really. All right, so we jump ahead a little bit, and right. you know, unfortunately, it was about fifteen years before you would win your third and final championship. But that was such a special group, and it got so much attention because you had this Vermont homegrown kid who was, you know, the talk of high school basketball. And I remember being, I had to have been uh, 11, maybe years Uh old. Uh And my dad taking me to see that championship game against Burlington to see 
Tony Orsiari play. Right. Yeah. How quickly did you know that you kind of had lightning in a bottle and this kid was different? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Um, actually, this is kind of a strange thing. It, it, it's a long story, which I won't get into, but we had, we had, uh, when Tony was a freshman, we had a rule, uh, in the athletic department specifically designed for girls and boys basketball that no freshman, um, I can't remember exactly. No, no freshman could be on the varsity. That that was a rule. Didn't matter what, how good the kid was, or and it's a long story which I won't get into. It's very political, but that was a rule. Uh, um, Tony uh, came to my. I had a basketball camp here in St. Johnsbury. He he lived up in the Burke area, and as a seventh or eighth grader, I can't remember. Probably an eighth grader. He came to my basketball camp. And um, I, I knew right away when I when I saw him at the camp that this this kid was going to be special. Well, he got recruited, if you can believe it, out of the eighth grade because his he had no high school. He could he could go to high school, you know, wherever, and his town would pay for it because his town didn't have a high school. So uh, the closest high school would have been Linden Institute, that was closer to Burke than than anything else. So uh, everybody figured he was going to go to Linden Institute. His father called me, and and there's Lake Region. He could have gone to Lake Region, and of course he could have gone to the academy. He could have gone to North Country if he wanted to travel that far up to Newport. So there were options for him to go to. And he was being recruited. Uh, I'm telling you, I mean, coaches were contacting his father and that type of thing. When he was in the eighth grade, his father called me and he said, um, we're trying to figure out where Tony's going to go to high school. And what I would like to do, if it's okay with you, is if I'd like, I'd like to come and bring him to some of your practices. And I said, sure, you know, come anytime you want. So he would call me and find out when practice was. And, uh, if it was convenient for, for their schedule, he would come to practice and watch his practice. So at the end of that, when that finished, um, they made a decision that he would go to the academy. I think based on what he saw at the practices, he thought that would be a good thing for Tony. And so he came to the academy, and I, I knew right away that he could make the varsity as a freshman. Now, remember, we got this rule, no right. freshman can be on the varsity. So I contacted our headmaster and made a special request, and I've still got the I wrote him a letter, and I said, basically, um, I, I understand the rule, but, uh, we should make an exception for this, for this kid because he already is better than most of my players and he's only a freshman. And I, and if, and we're holding him back if, if we don't let him play varsity this year. So the, the headmaster okayed that. And so Tony ended up on the varsity. And he started, obviously, on the varsity for four years. I think his freshman year, he averaged like, I don't know, 12 or 14 points a game. So I knew right away that we had that we had some uh, somebody that was really special. On top of that, he was a great person, a great kid, wanted to learn everything that you could possibly learn, absorbed everything. And as I told you before, he, he everybody wanted him to play football and soccer and run track. 
and he he was going to give up all of it to, to play bad. I tried to talk him out of that, but he wouldn't he wouldn't do that. He just ended up playing basketball for his final three years. Um, he might have been. It's really hard to to compare. Um, he might have been better than Dalrymple uh, overall because uh, he could shoot so well. Yeah, uh, he was just a tremendous shooter, but he was also a good ball handler. Uh, he could make decision good decisions with the ball. Um, he uh, he could dunk easily. So he was an explosive jumper. He rebounded well. He was a good defensive player. And he was about 6'3", 6'2 and a half, 6'3". So, um, you know, he he was kind of skinny when he was younger, but he, he went on and lifted weights and became stronger, especially when he went to UVM. So he, he might have been all around the best player that I ever coached. And... Uh, um, he the, the 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 probably the only problem I had with him was he he wouldn't shoot enough. <laughs> he would uh, look for ways to get the ball to other people, and I would have to talk to him about that. And look more for his shot, but he yeah. was um, he was a unique talent. Yeah, we, I had to have that 90, 1997 championship game against Burlington, and we're yeah. gonna put up put it up on our YouTube page this week so everyone can listen to it along oh, with nice. this, this week's podcast. And, man, his speed with the basketball and yeah. control of the basketball, he had people just on skates whenever he yeah. wanted to try to attack. It was amazing yeah. to watch. Fast-forwarding again a few years, and you get another Vermonter coming in by the name of Taylor Coppenrath, who right. didn't have necessarily the same, I think, build-up or presence coming into high school that Tony had. And no. I mean, we talked to Coach Brennan uh, yeah. a few months ago on the show, and he mentioned, you know, Taylor is the quiet assassin. He's mm. not going to be loud. You know, he's not going to, you know, demand respect, you know, from other players or whatever by voice, it's all by actions and right. leading by yeah. example. Sure. Yeah. Did you kind of, like I said, it was a different kind of road, but did you start seeing the potential that would kind of bloom into, you know, arguably one of, if not the most popular Vermont basketball player there's ever been? Right. Well, he, he's a, another very, very unique uh, player and, and had a unique uh, development as a player as he went through. Um, he started off in our program, and, and his first year he's on the freshman team. So much different than, than Tony or some of the other guys that come in and just blow you away the, you know, right away. He was not um, – his, his – uh, his athleticism was uh, somewhat limited uh, in those early years, and um, he he uh, didn't have a, a, I would say you know a tremendous amount of speed and quickness that what that wasn't his forte. <clears throat> but gradually, um, his sophomore year, he's on the JV team, 
and and he started on on both of those teams. But th- those were teams that he was placed correctly, I believe. His junior year, he made the varsity and uh, did well. Uh, his junior year, he started, and I think he averaged seventeen or eighteen points a game. And he's growing all this time now. He probably started about six two. And now he's probably about six five when he's a junior. So he's growing, growing into his body and so on. His senior year, and a lot of people forget this, he was the greater aid player of the year in the state of Vermont as a senior. Yeah. And he averaged uh about twenty five points a game his senior year. But he when he graduated, uh he's about six six and he's thin. I want to say um, 175, 180 maybe. So um, uh, UVM decided to redshirt him. I don't know if Brennan told you, probably told you that, but yep. they they redshirted him because they didn't think he was physically ready to to play. They wanted him. Um, now, when his senior year, he he was the center of uh, of all of our offense. Without a doubt, we would we would even run uh, situations where no one could shoot the ball until Taylor had touched it at least once during that possession. That was the rule, uh, and uh, we would put that into effect. And so he got the ball a lot, and he, and he you know he probably I don't know what percentage of the offense he he was, but twenty five points a game is a big percentage of the offense, and uh, so he got the ball a lot. One of the things he always had, even as a little kid, seventh and eighth grader, he had tremendous a knack for rebounding. Uh, and it wasn't so much jumping ability. In fact, there was very little of that. But he had a knack of where the ball was coming off the rim. And once he got his hands, on, he would rebound with two hands. And once he got the ball, you couldn't get it away from him. So he always had a tremendous knack for that, just a natural uh, affinity for rebounding, and he liked to rebound, which helped, obviously. All right, so he graduates, goes to UVM, has a redshirt year. Tony Orsieri is a senior at that time, so I would talk to Tony about, you know, during the season what was going on and so on. And I would say, well, how's Taylor doing? And Tony said, he's doing very well. He's the best rebounder we got here. And he wasn't even a play. He wasn't even playing. He was a red shirt. So he was doing well. And at the same time, now he's going from six six to six eight six nine in one year. So he's nineteen years old. He still grew, and he's going from one seventy five to I don't know two thirty. Um, so that that spurt uh, of growth really obviously made him into uh, a pretty. Um, you know, a different kind of a player. Um, and he ends up, you know, being a tremendous uh, all-star uh, and, and then a pro player over in Europe. So uh, he, 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 I mean, most kids don't don't grow after they got out of high school that much. He grew a lot. And, uh, well, I shouldn't, I don't know about growth, but anyway, that that's, uh, that's what happened to him. And he became a force to, to, to be dealt with and ended up beating Syracuse. You had to enjoy that, watching that from the wherever you were oh, watching yeah. that game. Well, yeah, I, I remember the night uh, and the 
watching it on TV, and yeah, it was very exciting. Uh, I was in Florida just a few weeks ago. This is a, a Taylor Coffinman story that's kind of funny. I was in Florida, and I'm in the swimming pool with a, with this couple from Massachusetts, and we started talking about basketball. And um, they asked me where I was from, and I said I'm from Vermont. I said, "Whoa!" So, oh, I'll never forget. I went to this game and and watched Taylor Coppenrath from Vermont beat Syracuse. He, this guy was at the game. He and his wife. <laughs> and he said, "Have you ever heard of him?" <laughs> I said, "Yeah, I was his high school coach." And he couldn't believe it. He almost. <laughs> so that was kind of interesting. That doesn't happen to you very often. But yeah, Taylor. Um, Taylor was quiet. Taylor was. Um, you know, sometimes difficult to read. What's he thinking? Because because he never gave it away. You know, that's the way he played. He just he he um, things would not upset him. He wouldn't get upset about things. Calls wouldn't upset him. He just keep on playing, and that's just the kind of personality he had. And uh, yeah, very unique, but um, uh, highly highly effective. Obviously, come two thousand six. How did you know? that you were ready to step away? Mostly from talking to my wife. <laughs> uh, no. Um, yeah, that's a, that's, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I don't know. I had uh, already taken a sabbatical. Um, so I had done that a few years before. And um, I just felt it was, uh, was the right time. Uh, being here for 35, doing it for 35 years. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I mean, I, I obviously haven't given up basketball. I'm still working on it. I got sessions, as I said, with kids that I work with. So a little, but it was time to slow down a little bit and uh, um, just go in a different direction. So it all, it all seemed to work out. Do you still kind of, stay in tune with what's going on at St. Johnsbury. Obviously we talked to coach McGinn earlier and he had that great run after transitioning from Thetford and, you know, now yeah, a young kid and Patrick Rainville, who's doing a great job kind of creating his own path. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think Patrick is the fifth coach, uh, varsity coach since I left. So that you know, in that they've had they've had quite a few coaches, um, but yeah, I um, I sort of offer my services as, if, if they're interested. Um, ben Davis, I don't know if you if you came across that name. Uh, he was there the last two years yep. before Patrick, and um, yeah, I uh, have done some um, computer streaming work with NSN. Uh, with yep. games, and I also do some. Sometimes, if they get in a pinch and they don't have anybody to announce the game, they'll give me a call, and I'll end up going, you know, running over and and call, uh, announcing the game that night. I've done that uh, a few times each season, um, and then um, if if the coach wants to talk to me about something, whoever the coach might be, like Patrick, I'm just I uh, had him. I sat down with Patrick last week for an hour or so. We went over some things that he wanted to talk about. And so, yeah, I'm still around. I still know the players. I try not to interfere uh, and uh, try not to uh, get in the middle of things that uh, 
you know, where I don't want, I don't want to stick my nose in someplace I'm not wanted. But uh, yeah, I'm just kind of there if uh, if anybody wants to talk about anything. Does that or did that kind of make the transition out easier? I mean, when we talked to Coach Brennan, he mentioned how much he loves still being able to go and he sits in the corner of the gym in his spot and he can right. go into yeah. the locker room after wins and it made it easier for him to kind of to walk away. Right. Well, I don't think there's anything that can take the place of forming a team. Uh, you start in November with a bunch of bunch of guys, and you you work every day to become as good as you can be. And that I don't think there's anything that that to me was was the highlight of being a coach. And this, I I found that there really isn't anything that can take the place of that. Um, I like basketball, so it's nice to be around it. Um, but uh, there's there is a void. I found there there is a void because it's it's about what you do on a daily basis and how uh, things come together and how you 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 try to make things come together as you as you move through the season. And it's really it's really hard to get anything to replace that. All right. Let's. Uh... Hit a few quick questions, and then we'll let you go. Uh, okay. First up, can you give me three of the best players you coached against? Yeah, th- this um, this was difficult. Um, some of the best players, and, I, and some of them I can't even remember their names, um, in Vermont came from the south. For example, Mount Anthony. Um but we we either never played against them, um, or we only played against them maybe once in the playoffs. So those players, um, you know, I really wouldn't put on the list because they just there was only one time where yeah. it was just somebody I heard about, and that would go for like Rutland, uh, Brattleboro. Although we did play Brattleboro uh, a couple of times, um, Mount Anthony. Those were the the uh, teams down south that uh, were powerhouses when I was coaching. So there wasn't. So it's, that leaves really the north, and um, uh, in the north, um, during the time that I coached, for the most part, it was Rice as a powerhouse, uh, and or Burlington. Uh, those those two teams in particular with some other teams mixed in uh, at different times. So I would say that, um, and, and they had tremendous players all, you know, all through the time, but so it's hard to pick out one or two, but I would say Keith Saplicki for Rice was probably, uh, I believe he started for four years at Rice and we played them two or three times a year and had to deal with him. Um, because what made it so difficult with him was that he was tall, and I forget, probably six four maybe, or in that range, Keith Saplicki, but he could shoot. So he, the thing that I would be most concerned about when I scouted the team was, okay, how many outside shooters uh, do they have? And so he was a handful because um, he was so tall, but yet such a good shooter off the dribble, and, um, and you know, pull ups or in, in the you know wherever. Uh, so he he was definitely be on the list, I think. Um, 
the coach of Burlington now, B.J. Robertson. Uh, yep. He was the coach this year, I think. Yep. Um, he he was another like a four year starter at Burlington during the years, uh, kind of during the Horsieri um, years, and I believe he was uh, a thousand point scorer uh, in for Burlington, and they won the championship in two thousand and one. Burlington High School, and he he had a big role, and uh, he was just somebody that was very difficult to deal with on the inside because he was such a great athlete and had such explosive uh, jumping ability. And then one other one that um, that and that I don't know, I, I think maybe his coaching uh, expertise is influencing this decision a little bit. But uh, Paul Pecor at Mount Mansfield. Uh, I don't know how many years he started, but he seemed to be there forever. And he was a handful, uh, very, very intelligent player, um, highly skilled with the basketball and, uh, tough, tough as nails when it came to defense and a very good leader. Even, even in those days, you could see that he was going to be, you know, he had, he had tremendous leadership, uh, capabilities. And that certainly has uh, been the case proven out over the years uh, as a coach. So I would say those three would be right near the top of the list. On that kind of note of coaching, who were some of the coaches that you loved to go up against and you always knew you were going to see something from that coach that you were going to want to take and use for yourself later? Well, um, you had you had asked me to sort of prepare this list also. I, I didn't take the question the same way. So uh, yeah. I took it a little differently. These sure. are coaches, but these are coaches that I've uh, looked to that would, would be near the top of my list for uh, at different times in my career for uh, uh, taking, taking things from or learning from. And as I said, my high school coach, Tony Garino uh, was, uh, was one, uh, the way he carried himself. Uh, he had respect. You, you just, felt like he, he respected all the players on the team, not just the, the starters or the stars. Um, so he was definitely uh, almost more of a role model as a, as a leader. Uh, I took a lot of that, I think, from him. Um, Pete Carrill from Princeton. I don't know if, if you know anything much about him. Uh, in fact, he just passed away, I think, this past year. But he was a Princeton coach and... Uh, uh, you know, going up against, uh, he he had a very good coaching career at Princeton, and uh, I learned a lot from him. I'd go to some of his clinics, and I've got a lot of coaching books, and I've got a couple of his coaching books, uh, because he he did a lot with uh, controlling tempo, which I found to be very important to, to be able to control the tempo. And that's why, that's one of the big reasons he he couldn't match up athletically or basketball-wise, talent-wise, with a lot of the teams that he played against, especially in the NCAA tournament. But he was able to stay in the games because he controlled the pace. So I wanted to learn how to do that better. So he was one of the ones I went to for that. Uh, there's a guy named Dick DeVenzio, D-E-V-E-N-Z-I-O. Um, he isn't, I don't know, he's put out a lot of books. I have four of his books. And um, he ran a uh, summer camp called Point Guard College in Pennsylvania yep. that uh, some of my kids went to. But I learned a lot about that college. And, 
I've got I've got all his books, and um, he had one book called Stuff. Uh, that all stuff, and then um, under that would be uh, stuff that every good player should know, and uh, just a lot of really really good things about situations and. And so I learned a lot from him. I took a lot of that stuff from uh, from his books. And then another guy that had, I think, had quite a bit of influence on my coaching career was a guy named Don Meyer, Mayer, M-E-Y-E-R, um, coach at Lipscomb in Tennessee, Lipscomb University. And at the time that he was coaching, uh, he had more wins uh, than anybody in college coaching. I can't remember the number until Lashishevsky went, went by him. Yeah. Uh, so I uh, started reading a lot about him and decided I wanted to go to his basketball camp and work for a summer uh, for a week in Tennessee. So I did that. He allowed me to come. And um, that was a good experience. And uh, he sent me literature about his program and so on and so forth. And uh, he was, uh, he definitely had some influence on how I looked at different things about basketball. So those would be the coaches that I look to the most for things that I learned. All right. Our final question we do kind of every show coach, if you're headed yeah. out to dinner and you can bring four coaches with you, who do you <laughs> want to sit at the table with? Oh, I guess it would be these guys right here, um, that I just named. I figured um, as much. Yeah. Pete Carrill, Dick DiVenzio, Tony Garino, and Don Meyer would be, uh, would, would be the guys that I would want to talk to about if we were sitting around having something to eat, I think. That would be fun. Yeah. Coach, I want to thank you so much for your time here and what a privilege it was for me to pick your brain for a little while. Okay, well, I appreciate the uh, invitation, and I hope I wish you good well, uh, good wishes, and good luck with uh, with your podcast, and hope things turn out well. Thanks again to our sponsor, Victoria Hill Physical Therapy and Wellness. Come on, guys! It's not just for student athletes. Let's be honest: for all of my fellow older people listening to the show, I mean. When I get up from the table in a few minutes after recording this, it's going to take me a solid probably five steps before I'm standing straight. Go in, get some work done, treat your body like a temple, man. And a great place to go, Victoria Hill Physical Therapy and Wellness, located on Pearl Street in Hardwick, just up the road from Hazen Union. You can give them a call, 802 Four seven two six six two two. Make sure you're checking out our socials, No Fouls Pod, on Facebook for all the stuff going on with Uncommon Media, Uncommon Media VT on everything. YouTube at Uncommon Media VT. We had our game of the week there a little while ago. We got another one coming out this week. Very excited about all the stuff we have going on, and we will be back next week with another episode right here on No Fouls.